Welcome to the Streets Sessions, the business podcast brought to you by Streets Chartered Accountants. I'm James Pinchbeck, the firm's marketing partner, and I'll be hosting this session in which I'm joined by Anita Wynn, CEO of Best Start Human Resources, to explore why businesses are facing workforce shortages and what can be done to address the situation. Certainly, it looks like workforce shortages are here to stay and are going to affect more and more businesses, not just those looking for lorry drivers or those in the work to work in care, hospitality, food and the agriculture sectors. Signs are that the professions and those in tech, the tech sector, along with others, are now seeing not just short term labour shortages, but what looks like long term shortfalls. With job vacancies hitting an all time high in 2021, labour shortages are part put down to Brexit and the withdrawal of the EU workers from the UK labour force and the pandemic. With this background in mind, I'm delighted to welcome Anita Wynn to this episode of the Street Sessions. Welcome, Anita. Hello. Thank you, Anita. What I'd like to explore, and we've talked prior to this recording, is uh, we're going to talk about workforce shortages, but we've also wanted to explore the skills shortage and also um, attitudes of workers and the approach of employers around recruitment. And actually, the whole topic about workforce shortages is much bigger, um, but perhaps has got more... uh, complicated or, or more frustrated following the pandemic. Can, can I ask you, start by asking you what your experience through your work with clients is in general terms around labour availability? And do you see it more as a sector specific or are there specific sectors that you see are fa- fa- facing more challenging circumstances? I think if, as you've alluded to there in your introduction, James, I think we need to split this into two areas. Of course, there. Uh, they are connected and they are joined. But we actually have a shortage of individuals looking for work. I guess you could call that a labour shortage. And we also have a skills shortage. Um, I, we certainly, working with uh, our clients, have experienced both, both a labour shortage and skills shortage across most of our clients. And I would say that the vast majority of our clients who are recruiting um, are seeing a reduction in the number, but also in the quality of candidates applying for roles. And I would say that that's across all sectors, but also all levels. So we're seeing that at sort of managerial level specialist or professional levels um, and all the way down to uh, you know levels such as like entry levels customer service representatives call centers administrators those types of things as well so I think on the labor shortage we've definitely got that across all sectors Um, however in very specific sectors we're definitely seeing skills shortages and there is definitely not enough people with the appropriate level of skills and probably more likely experience. We go, again, we've got this difference between skills and experience. We don't have enough of those to, to meet the demand. And I think that is more sector specific. And we're certainly seeing challenges being faced across multiple sectors. You know, as you've mentioned, you know, we've all heard on the news about HGV drivers, for example, and certainly my clients who are in logistics, we have certainly experienced that firsthand. But definitely technology is a really big area data science uh, and sort of data metrics is a really big and growing area and there just isn't enough people um, in that area. Um, 
we mustn't forget social and healthcare, uh, manufacturing, also construction, for example, as well. So I think skill shortage wise, there is definitely um, it, it is more sector specific. But I would say just across all all types of levels and types of jobs, we're seeing a, a labour shortage as well. If we may just we'll, we'll come back to skills. Let's just focus on this labour shortage, which mm. um, is, is significantly impacting um, UK businesses. The, the, the reasons for that labour shortage, uh, it, 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 I imagine a lot goes back to that people go, actually, uh, the, the type of work people are being asked to be done, to do, and where and how they're being asked to do it means that people perhaps don't want to do those jobs. What, why do you see those labour shortages? Is it, is it more about, you know, that people say people don't want to do those jobs or is it employers are not actually providing an environment where or, or, or understanding the challenges and conditions they need to address to actually make it attractive for people to work for them or is it just pay uh, I think it's a real combination of things. I think l- like many, many issues in businesses, Brexit and COVID have either accelerated or focused issues that were in the labour force or in the workforce um, prior to either of those events happening. And what they've done is just accelerated things. So I think it's a whole combination of things come together in a point in time. And what we have to remember is really over the last 18 months or so, a lot of the economy, not all, but a lot of the economy has been on hold. And then all of a sudden we have this, and I hate the term, Freedom Day that occurred in July. And everyone expected a button to be pressed and just the economy just to kick back start as if nothing had happened. And of course, you know, our economy is built around supply chains and, you know, one business being based on another business, another, and it takes time to get these things up and running. So I think some of this, um, It is a whole combination of many, many different things. And Brexit and COVID have their parts to play. But there are other issues that were already there around things like flexibility of work, um, conditions at work, culture and environment that were in play before that are now coming, coming, coming to the forefront, I guess. And I suppose with that, and I know in particularly in the hospitality and leisure sector, following the pandemic, a lot of those people employed in there obviously were unable to work because of lockdown. And I think that gave them, uh, well, economic necessity drove the, the need to actually probably find alternative work and also possibly highlighted actually they could do other jobs and sometimes the rate of pay or conditions were were more favourable to them. So there's been a, a shift in the labour force from certain sectors to other sectors as well, hasn't there, over the, I think, over the last 12 to 18 months? Absolutely. And, I, I, you know, moving on to that point, I, yes, definitely people have moved out of those those hospitality sectors and into other things that um, has encouraged them to to try something new or to do something different. I also think that um, for those people who maybe experienced furlough or flexi furlough, whether that was in those industries or others, um, they've had to get used to a new form of life. They had to limit their spending or create new personal financial budgets, etc., because they were, were on furlough. 
but they also saw benefits of getting a better work-life balance. So having um, having time at home, taking up new hobbies, doing volunteering, and I think some of those individuals have got very have got used to that. Have got used to a living on a slightly lower budget, but also making the most of that work-life balance. So I think some individuals are very reluctant to return to working either full-time or working in those sectors that they worked for previously and would prefer to do something different. And, and the other thing we've seen is, uh, uh, particularly in, in all aspects of business, business is actually, uh, and a lot of this could have happened pre-pandemic, but it was actually, if you've got a digital connection, you can actually do business and operate your business um, virtually anywhere uh, within reason, depending on the nature of your business, but in principle, you could operate it anywhere. And I think there has been a trend, and, and I know with uh, some businesses and particularly some of the professional firms, there have been incidences now where people are recruiting people who may not be in the same location as the physical business is based, mm. but operate or are employed to undertake a task. So that, that, and that could be some distance. So, you know, I've seen it in, in places like Cambridge, where uh, individuals are now, who are Cambridge centric are now working for London businesses. Historically, they may have had to travel on the train or go into a place of work, but that digital connectivity means they can work in a different place and also often command better work conditions and even pay to go with it, can't they? Absolutely, and I, we have definitely seen that. I wonder if that's a long-term solution, um, particularly in some of those um, professions that you're talking about. Um, we've definitely seen that happening, and clearly, you know, a young person early in their career will find that extra money very attractive uh, for working at home. But I do question, I do wonder how long that will be attractive and, and that money will be a motivator when they start to experience um, the less social environments, the less training, the, the difficulty with interacting with people, which is so critical for all of us, but particularly critical when you're in your early parts of your career. So we've definitely seen a move towards that. Whether that will be a sustained long-term move will be an interesting thing to watch. I, I agree. I think there's a, there's a real risk that you you know, the, the benefit of bringing people together is lost, you know, that collaboration, Correct. that creativity, that sense of belonging, uh, sense of purpose of an organisation, that social interaction. So if we may, I mean, to say that's possibly one solution that businesses have looked at is actually, uh, I won't be blinkered about the area I recruit to or, or where people are based to work for me. What are, what are the sort, sort of short term solutions have you seen with uh, the clients or the businesses you've been working with? Oh, a whole raft of different short-term short-term issues. Um, they right. Where where do we start? I guess so. Um, first of all, definitely looking at pay has been uh, an area, particularly uh, for those where I've been working in logistics, um, looking at pay, but actually looking at a much broader. Um, so not just pay, but also um, terms and conditions. So that could be number of hours if someone is expected to work, the working pattern. Um, so moving away from looking at just working nine to five, but instead saying, look, I'm quite happy for you to work your seven hours a day anywhere between eight and six to allow flexibility for people to pick up children from school or get tea for the children or elderly care responsibilities, which many got used to doing uh, while they were furloughed. So uh, pay, hours, um, place of work, 
flexibility of work, compressed hours, so working a full-time week in four days, um, working from home some days, working from the office some days, that sort of hybrid working mix has been really, really popular, um, either moving to the 3-2 or 2-3 model um, between home and office, that's been really popular, and that has, um, I think, been really attractive for many people. Um, we've also seen them um, change their sort of normal candidate sourcing methods, so, you know, where do I get my candidates? from for um, the, uh, the jobs and vacancies that I've got. Um, so broadening out, looking at uh, online job boards. There are a number of good organisations now where you can pay one fee and they will then put it out on five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten of those job boards themselves. That's become increasingly popular. Um, a move back towards recruitment agents um, and uh, the, them going out and sourcing, um, increased use of things like social media and those sorts of things, trying to increase that pool. Um, one of the things as well, though, in doing that is, it, 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 you know, you've got to, first of all, start with making your um, your organisation attractive to whoever you're going out there and looking. And that some, probably brings me more to sort of medium and long term things. But organisations do need to have a look at how do they make themselves marketable to new candidates. The other thing we're seeing people doing is um, looking at uh, asking existing staff to take on more. Um, however, I, I'd call I, I don't I wouldn't discourage that but if you are going to if organizations are going to do that they do need to think about how they approach existing staff to do that so making sure that they're getting necessary training getting necessary support and also if they're taking on significant uh, responsibilities or changes maybe additional pay as well um, one of the worst things you can do is just pile it onto the staff that you've got and then as you know them say well hang on a second I can walk down the road and I can get twice the pay for doing this job and and then you upset your retention levels as well so you've got to deal with this by looking at making sure you're maintaining your retention whilst also um uh you know solving this this short-term problem I, and i agree i think that the danger is in the quest to find more staff that the existing staff and, and employees are neglected i think mm. they're also picking up a point you there raised uh, about the longer term issue you know i think one of the big changes we've seen in organizations uh, over the last 10 or so years is actually uh, employers no longer really call the shots. It's not about whether do I want to take you on. Increasingly, it mm. is about the employee saying, do I want to work for you? You know, and I think that comes on to neatly comes on to the long term planning of this situation. You know, mm. we, we seem as businesses actually now to operate in a disruptive world where we deal with the, deal with the here and now. And actually that strategic planning and thought process seems to be put on the back burner. Just looking at the long term, and I think that neatly also brings us into a look at the skills agenda as well, mm, doesn't it? Yep. You know, uh, and also, can we explore with this thought? Uh, I know we talked before we started this recording, you know, there's, it's highly recognised or widely recognised. We are uh, significantly short of numbers of people to undertake uh, jobs going forward. And perhaps it isn't always about recruitment and of people uh, and needing to look at wider a wider thought process about how we're going to deal with the challenges. So yeah, if we may start by just looking at, you know, how do you see the long term and, and what would you how would you if you're working with a business approach dealing with the challenges businesses face? No, I agree with you. I mean, if you, particularly in many sectors, they were, um, I, I went back looking at doing a bit of research for, for this and I went back and looked at some of the um, 
professional bodies, you know, CIPD, etc. And they were reporting on skill shortages pre-pandemic, uh, particularly in areas like social care, healthcare, technology, some of the professions. So this is this is something that has been there. And again, as I said earlier, it's really just rather been accelerated or focused by Brexit and the pandemics. So um, and and recent. Uh, research by C the CBI has suggested that both labour shortages and skill shortages are going to be with us for maybe two years plus. So it is really something that organisations can't continue to just ignore if they want to make sure that they are in the best possible position um, for economic growth uh, as we move forward. So there are there is a number of things that they need to do in the very short term, but also in the medium and long term. And I think we need to divide it into different areas. They need to look at um, how they recruit and we can come back and look at that in a minute in a little bit more detail if you if you'd like to like me to give you some specific examples but there is stuff about recruitment we also need to start adopting things that in the past SMEs just haven't done and that's something called workforce planning and it's something that all the big organizations do but it's not something that very many SMEs do and that's about spending time analyzing the current workforce who have you got how old are they? What's their skills profile? Um, what are their career ambitions? Determining what the future workforce might need. And that's where SMEs often go, well, you know, I can't look into a crystal ball. How do I know? Um, it doesn't matter if you have seven, eight, nine future plans, at least have some future plans and think about what are the workforce needs um, for those plans to take place. And then that gives you the ideal opportunity to do a gap analysis between what you've got now and what you think you're going to need. And then you tailor a whole range of solutions in order to try and, and meet that gap. And, you know, it, it sounds um, a difficult exercise. It really isn't. And it doesn't need to be um, all singing, all dancing. It can be a very, very simple exercise. But then what it does, it allows you to really take a medium and longer term view to build that workforce that you're going to need. And that can include things like succession planning, um, having a learning and development strategy. Again, not something that many SMEs do. They tend to buy in staff. That staff do perform a job. Rarely are their skills updated. And over time, their skills become stale or you know, null and void anymore, etc. So by having a learning development strategy, you can focus on actually growing your own. And that can include, you know, training programs to continue to upskill your existing employees, um, sort of graduate recruitment and training programs, um, apprenticeship programs. So many small to medium sized businesses are not aware of the fantastic array of apprenticeships are now available. Um, and depending on your size, you know, if you don't pay the apprenticeship levy, you're too small, you'll only pay a very small um, fraction, about 10 to 15 percent of the cost. Um, and those apprenticeships now can be applied to existing members of staff as well as new staff and all the way from sort of what we call level two, level three um, apprenticeships, which are sort of for people who are just coming out of school, all the way through to post-grad sort of level seven apprenticeships across a vast array of areas. Um, so having an apprenticeship strategy um, is is 
can be a really great way of, gr of growing your own. Um, also looking at, you know, constantly updating the digital skills of, of your workforce and how do you do that? Again, there's lots of government support to do that. Um, for professions um, and for what I would call sort of the, the new tech areas, um, having career frameworks, being able to demonstrate, even though you're an SME and don't have multiple levels and multiple departments, that you can demonstrate for people that they have a clear career path, that they understand what they need to do and that they can stay with you and still achieve their, their career aims. And that doesn't necessarily have to just be sort of management pass that you might get. But I've been working with a number of um, sort of tech companies, engineering companies, uh, where we have specialist career paths that recognise someone's specialist capability rather than them having to move across into management. Because for many of those individuals, it's the specialist skills probably make them absolutely brilliant in their professional specialism but make them the world's worst man manager um, but you you know you would you, the organization would lose value if they if they left so it's recognizing those as well um, I think it's also about looking at the way in which um, work is structured matching work patterns to the needs of the available resource so um, many 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 moons ago I used to work for a very large retailer and we very successfully married up term time workers with students so we had mums who really only wanted to work term time and we had students who were desperate to work in their holidays well if you marry them up you've got somebody who can work three six five days a year so it's looking at the work patterns of the resource that you've got and being a little bit more flexible about the way in which you construct roles and struck work patterns um, I've talked about recruitment, and I think that's a really important element, looking at the way in which you market your organisation to candidates during that recruitment phase. And as I said, we can come back and look at that. And then, of course, there's retention strategies, too. So we've talked a bit about, you know, you get people in the door, then you've got to upskill them and can keep their skills training. But you also need to make sure you retain um, the staff that you've got. Recruitment is incredibly expensive, both in terms of, you know, the actual physical cost, but also in time, opportunity costs of induction and training and bringing people up the curve and all of those things. So, you know, looking at your culture, making it an environment where people want to come to work um, or want to take part in work, even if they're not coming to a physical building. What does that work environment look like? What are the benefits that are on offer? And, you know, this is this, this is about those traditional benefits like life assurance and pension, all those things. But it's also about some of the softer benefits. What does your workforce, what would what do they value? What do they like about the place that they work? Um, and also getting employees involved. Many employees, particularly younger employees, um, want to feel involved with their workforce and that helps to retain them. They feel part of it. So what are some of those things you can do? So to be really, really honest, um, the medium and longer term part um, strategies for this is literally about looking at every single part of the people journey in your business. And I think, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Some really good advice in there. Just back to on the remuneration, I think one of the big challenges actually is, um, uh, or, or differences, is if you look at it in a, a post-pandemic world and the, the trends we're seeing now is a lot of people, yes, pay is important, but it's conditions. Also, those benefits that you talked about may change and that they are changing. You know, 
perhaps when people first joined it was, you know, do I get a pension? Yes, well, we've got auto-enrolment, but there are other pension benefits and other benefits. Some of the, be it would be a good time to review the benefits that people receive, you know. Perhaps the company car is a thing of the past, given we, you know, the change in working attitudes or, or the type of company car, through to the other things they get. People are looking for, you know, we're finding the people want, actually, what training and development do I get? What career opportunities do I, am I being presented with? Um, what other support, well-being support might I, might I get? Through to, I think you've covered on some of that is, whilst we look to people, it's the wider strategy of the business. You know, mm -hmm. what is its a strategy and an approach to the environment or social responsibility and, and, and good governance and leadership, um, which is it overlays that attractiveness to the, the potential employee for the organisation, doesn't it? Absolutely. We, we've seen this a number of times before. Unfortunately, I've got too many grey hairs. I've actually seen this three or four times um, over my career in HR. But we're in a phase where we have coined the expression a war for talent. And this means that you you can the, the balance of power swings away from uh, the, the, the company or the employer to the candidate or potential employee. And employers really need to market themselves as an attractive place that people want to come and, and work at. And that covers a whole multitude of different things that makes a company attractive to the people it's trying to, um, to hire. And of course, it might be attracting lots of different types of people and different types of roles and different people who are in different stages of their, um, of their career. And therefore, they've got, to, they've got to be nimble and they've got to be flexible and they've got to be able to offer something to all of those individuals. Um, a, you know, a little anecdote, I was talking to my oldest son who is in his last stage at university and obviously is applying for lots of jobs. And um, he was particularly attracted to a, a, a company who he's applied for because they expressed their values in terms of music and in terms of the music that they like so they are they use music to try and create diversity and inclusion within their organization trying to express their values and for someone who was very young and into music it, he found that really engaging and found like something that he he could really relate to um, this is an organization that's a, a fintech organization so it's got nothing to do with music, but they'd found a way of trying to um, uh, attract the type of people that they want to do. So it's really about branding, um, just as you might brand your organization to a customer. Um, we're really having to think about how do we brand our organization to the people we want to attract. And with that, and, and as a marketer, obviously the branding is very important, but it's the substance and meaning under the brand, isn't it? Mm. That I think is equally important. If we if we could move on now to recruitment, and uh, I know we've talked about this before. You know, I'm of an era that you know historically, perhaps the first job I ever applied for was advertised in a local newspaper or a trade press magazine, and and you were or a professional magazine, and you advert you know you wrote in on literally on paper with your CV. The world of recruitment has changed significantly. Um, it, it is more diverse and more complex you know I think it is now the danger is people just think they they do one activity whether that's using a recruitment consultancy or agency or they post something on LinkedIn and hope somebody might see it and then apply or you know it, it, it is through contacts that people go well, actually we're looking for somebody come and talk to us how, how do you see do businesses and organizations need to rethink their recruitment process um, 
to get the best out of it or 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 is it does it work no clearly it's not working at the moment um i think if you spoke to most smes they will have experienced some if not all of their vacancies are just not they're just they're just not being as successful they're not they're not collecting a bigger pool and i think we need to look at this again in in sort of two tranches first of all you need to make sure that um as big a candidate pool as possible knows about your fantastic vacancy but obviously the and therefore you need to make sure that the vacancy goes out to or touches the right people or enough of the right people in order that you have a reasonable number of candidates now you know I have got lots of clients say well it doesn't really matter I only need one but generally you do need some form of comparison So you've got to look at how do I, who are the people I'm trying to attract and how do I get my message to them? And most at the moment, most organizations are having to use use a sort of multifaceted um, approach to try and do that. But the approach is, again, not one size fits all. It really does depend on who you are trying to attract. But, you know, you need to probably look across the boards of social media if you're attracting tech, young um, or individuals. You've got the job boards now, as I mentioned earlier, you've also got companies who you can um, go to and they will then, and I can think of it too, so Recruitment Boutique or Blue Town, you go to them, you pay a single fee and then they put it out across seven, eight, nine different um, platforms. So it becomes quite cost effective. They have nice portals, makes it easier to use, etc. So, you know, that's definitely um, most organisations are, are putting out uh, jobs through that. You've got the recruitment agencies again and the headhunters who are still working but then you've also got the social networks which um, most organizations are finding particularly useful at the moment so whether that's LinkedIn or just other people's social networks that way you're then creating a big enough pool but once you've got that pool you've got to think about what you're going to do with it and you know in my experience with SMEs they tend to approach this in one or two ways they either have one quick interview and go well yeah you know he 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 she looks like they could possibly do the job they said they could right fine they can start on Monday to other SMEs who go through 14 15 interviews or meeting this person and that person um, and the whole process takes too long so you know what I would say at the moment is you then also need to look at your selection processes and make sure they're fit for purpose make sure that that they are quick Um, you know candidates are going exceptionally quickly at the moment so you cannot delay you need to make sure you're responding you're showing an interest and people are moving through the process as quickly as possible Um, otherwise you risk finding a person and then taking another job Um, so you've got to look at at your recruitment process you've got to make sure that they're thorough enough so that you maximize the success of the recruitment and you're not having a sort of a almost a revolving door with uh, people leaving within the first month three months even the first year so you need to make sure that it's right and I'd also say as well we've become very SMEs are very focused on on finding the right person that can just slot into the job and they don't need to put much investment into them. And actually, in this current state, we need to look at what am I going to hire? What could I hire 
And then what could I train? So I had an MD that I worked with many years ago who had a lovely saying who I now adopt, which is that you can't put in what God left out. And what he was talking about were those sort of personal skills that and personal behaviours. Now, we can't. He was right. There are some things that people are just good at that you can't train, but often technical skills or knowledge we can give. So being a little bit more flexible about what we're looking for and thinking about, well, what could I take on board? What would fit my values and what can I train someone to do might mean that you you get better people as well and then there's also adopting some of the new modern practices so we're seeing lots of video interviews at the moment if anyone's tried to do a video interview it's really tough um, but you can use video interviews where you ask someone to record the answers to four or five questions obviously we do teams interviews now um, the use of psychometric testing is going back to becoming extremely popular to make sure we find the right people um, small assessment centers all those sorts of things so it's it's about re-looking at your recruitment process and making sure you're getting a big enough group of, of candidates in the first place and then you're making sensible selection decisions so that they're the right decisions and, and I think actually the, the, the other thing people need to consider is that there's a, there's a lot of the cases that occur where employers are trying to recruit somebody and go, it's not us, it's them. We can't get people. There's nothing wrong with what we're doing. And I think yep. it, it, I think more so than ever, there needs to be some um, um, ref self-reflection and some humility that actually we're not perfect. We might not be doing it right. It, it, we probably do need to understand why this is not working or why we're not getting what we want, isn't there, really? And I think, you know, it, 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 we've got to address and understand those issues or those challenges. It, it, is, it has changed. So I think that's quite important. If, if we may, we've talked about trying to address the workforce issues, and that's labour and skills. And I think you've covered, which I was going to ask you as a specific question, but I don't think I need to because we've talked about it. Actually, by investing in individuals and their skills, upskilling, making their skills relevant, you can imp and, and investing in technology, you can improve productivity, which might help address part of the challenge. Equally, uh, I know you're a people to people business, but equally, should should do you think businesses ought to also now look at alternative uh, replacements for individual or human beings, so to speak? I mean, uh, we're seeing it in some sectors already, in particular things like uh, logistics and warehouse and storage but also in agriculture where robotics and uh, autonomous vehicles are starting to be used. Do you think there's a, that there needs to be a bit of a blend? And, and if so, actually, how would you go about it? Because is that a sort of HR and tech, the, the tech side of the business trying to work more closely together? Uh, and do you think it can come together? Absolutely. Um, I think any business who sticks their head in the sand and doesn't think that robotics, AI, virtual reality, all of those things are, go are not going to have an impact on people and how skills and jobs, etc. They're living in cloud cuckoo land. So, you know, it, it, it goes back to my um, point earlier about workforce planning. I think it's really important that the business as a whole, including whoever looks is part of their people strategy and technology strategy, looks at what um, what in, what investments, what technologies, what advancements might make um, jobs easier, simpler, or might replace a job entirely, and therefore then work together towards 
understanding that impact. So if you know that a particular role or a particular job is likely to be removed or to be changed because of AI or technology of some description, um, if you plan for it, you have plenty of time in advance to reskill people to do something different or to um, use natural attrition so that you don't have to, you know, you people whose skills are not going to be relevant, leave the organisation and you replace them with something that is going to be relevant. Um, but I, I think, you know, we've seen in a very, very small way, even though for most of us, it felt like a very big way, in a very, very small way, you, you we've seen how video conferencing technology, which was was there before, but has been forced upon us during the COVID pandemic, has actually revolutionized the way most of us work on a day-to-day -day basis. And that is tiny in comparison to what some of the technologies are going to be able to do in the future. So any organization that doesn't embrace the use of technology to change jobs, improve jobs, um, I think is, is, uh, is, is on a hiding to nowhere. And I think all, even small businesses should be, should be focusing on that now. Thank you. And, and if we can conclude this session, could you give us an outline of, you know, sort of from your, the work of your own organisation, how you might help a business looking to deal with the challenges they face? You know, how would they engage with you How in terms of what, what would you do and, and how would you support businesses? Well, we, we've had a product called our um, productivity wheel for for many years and to be honest with you it's always been relevant but it's become so relevant now and what it does it tries to uh, link how people and the things that you can do for your people and to your people um, can have a direct impact on the bottom line and, and how you grow and how you invest. Um, and we offer a, a, a free complimentary, um, what we call productivity audit. So we go out to our clients and we sit down with them and we literally take them through from strategy all the way around seven sectors, talking to them about how they plan how they uh, resource their business, how they um, set the standards in their business, how they performance manage, how they reward and what sort of engagement they use, what well-being mechanisms they have in place, how they train and develop, and also how they engage and involve their people. And we talk to them about their biz those seven sectors within the context of where they currently are with what they're doing and also what they, where they want to be. And as a result of that conversation, we, uh, we, we talked to them about their gaps, the things that they could be doing to address the problems that they have now, but also the things that they want to do going forward and translate those into actual tangible projects or actions they can do. And we say to our clients, you know, ideally you would address all of the seven sectors uh, to have the perfect response, but most SMEs don't have the budget, the time um, to be able to do that or things move too fast. So we will work with them to identify what are the key things they can do for their workforce or to their workforce in order to get the biggest change or the biggest uplift for them. And then we will work with them solidly on designing what that might look like, 
uh, implementing it and then evaluating it and making sure it becomes business as usual before we move on to the next thing. And that, as I said, that can be everything from working with a board, um, actually looking at their business strategy and putting that people strategy that we talked about earlier in the workforce planning bit, putting that in place for them um, through to um, simple things around looking at benchmarking their salaries at the moment, um, putting in salary structures, reviewing benefits, doing engagement surveys, um, looking at training and development. And I'm just doing a, a big project at the moment, looking at learning and development across the whole organization. And we've got various different strands. We've got a graduate recruitment program we've just put in place, apprenticeship program that's just about to start. We've been doing a management and leadership and development program, but that's an organization that's really growing places, but needs its current employees to be upskilled and we need to fill in in between as well. So it's it's been a, a, you know, a year long piece of work and we're finally starting to really see some of the benefits of, of doing that piece of work. So we start with the audit, we start with looking at where they are, we start looking at where they want to be and then identifying very very specific things that they can do that they can afford within their budget to make a difference and then we work with them on 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 those things individually thank you i think that's a really practical and realistic approach to, to how businesses can manage it so i really appreciate that outline and, and also thank you for your um for your input today and i think that i've really enjoyed the conversation around the, the workforce challenges and i think is we, we can summarize Yes, there's labour shortages. Yes, there's, but it's equally skills shortages. And we need to now look at doing things differently for the longer term. And whilst businesses may be able to do things in the short term, it is that long term approach. But actually, often we can't do that on our own and we need external support and guidance, uh, whether it is around, you know, dealing with future workforce planning or even through to things like tax planning for remuneration planning, which uh, we obviously get involved with as a firm. So thank you, Anita. I really appreciate your, your input today. If you would like to get in touch with Anita following this session, you may contact her via uh, an email address, inquiries at beststarthr.com or by visiting www.beststarthr.com. If you have any specific concerns or questions, having listened to this podcast, please do also email info at streetsweb.co.uk or visit www.streetsweb.co.uk. Thank you also to you for listening. We look forward to catching up with you again in future sessions.